There's a demon who is going to inhabit this coming son of perdition who will give him authority and power and the ability to perform miracles and will bring his body back to life. And when it happens, the world will worship him. This is Search the Scriptures, a walk through the Bible with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've spent the past couple of weeks in Revelation 17 looking at a new religious system which will come on the scene during a time known as the Tribulation following the rapture of the church. Dr. Brogy noted that this religious system will usher in a one-world government which everyone will be forced to follow or risk an inability to buy and sell even food. This new world order will be based in an area the Bible defines as Babylon, and which, judging from the description, appears to be Rome. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he begins reading from Revelation 17, verse 7, where an angel is giving the Apostle John an explanation of the vision that he is experiencing. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So here's this woman. She is viewed as being carried by the beast, and the explanation that follows is going to be more about the beast than about the woman, the harlot itself. She is not carrying the beast. The beast is carrying her. She has an alliance with the beast. Again, the Antichrist. Most of us know the beast by his most popular name, though the word Antichrist never appears in the Revelation. And the only one who ever uses it, of course, is the Apostle John in his epistles. He is most commonly called the beast, though he has 30-some different titles given to him in the Old and the New Testament. And you might think that the person sitting on the animal would be controlling the beast, but as this chapter is going to reveal, the one who is underneath her is actually controlling her. And before he's done, he's going to destroy this one-world system of religion for his own one-world system of religion. I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Now, please notice he does not say the mysteries, plural, but I will tell you of the woman and the beast when he describes this. He says of the mysteries, singular, because there's not two mysteries, the woman and the beast, but one mystery. And the reason revealed for this lopsided explanation, because it is not the woman who's ruling, it is the beast, it is the Antichrist who is ruling. These two are linked together, they're inextricably tied together, but the Antichrist is just using her. Much today, as politicians will sometimes use Christians in the church in order to achieve their goals and their plans. We've had presidential candidates that have come here and in my office and senators and U.S. representatives, and I always try to search out what their motivation is, and I always, without shame, ask them the diagnostic questions to see if I can share the gospel with them. Well, here's a time that is coming when the state is going to use this religion. Look at verse 8. He describes it more fully. The beast, the Antichrist that you saw, was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. 
Now, the fact that the beast was now and is not and will come up out of the abyss was introduced to us further, do you remember it, back in Revelation 13. Hold your finger here and go back a few pages to Revelation chapter 13. You should bring a Bible with you. You need a Bible. You'll get 50% more out of any sermon I preach if you have one. Now, remember, every time you see the term the beast, it is either literally referring to a person, namely the Antichrist, or it is referring to the kingdom that he represents. Now, back here in chapter 13, let's think again about the survival and the revival of both the Antichrist and his empire. Now, we learned a whole lot about this man when we studied the prophet Daniel. If you weren't here for that series, go to the App Store, type in Search the Scriptures, download the Search the Scriptures app, and you can listen to that series. But actually, Daniel 7 and Daniel 11 teach us more about the Antichrist than any book in all of the Bible. He is described in that book as an intellectual genius of sorts. He is an incredible orator. He has an ability to speak like few have. He's the master politician. He's a military mastermind, but he is an evil deceiver. He is a man who's coming, who has had no equal in the history of the world, and he will be Satan's instrument to destroy Christians and Jews during this time. Revelation 13, look at verse 3. I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So John's describing this coalition of kings, and one of the kings, one of the heads is killed, so to speak. He is slain. And the whole earth is amazed because he's healed. And so they follow after the beast. Now, if you remember, this is a challenging verse for many faithful Bible expositors for the simple reason that one of the things that isolates Jesus as unique is His resurrection from the dead. His resurrection is a declaration. It is an announcement. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1.4, that Jesus was declared, He was announced, the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is important because it says Jesus is Lord, that He is sinless, that death could not trap Him in the grave because He never, ever sinned. And so that verse speaks of the deity of Christ like many similar to it. And so if the Antichrist is resurrected, that seems to diminish Christ's claim by the resurrection, maybe even fully dissolve it. And so to get around it, Some say, well, uh, it's not really the Antichrist who is resurrected. This must be his kingdom that is resurrected, that it's not referring to a specific person, but of his kingdom. Well, we saw the problem with that interpretation in the context of Revelation 13, but I at least appreciate what they're trying to do. Still others say, well, this was a feigned death. This was a fake death. This was one of the Antichrist lying miracles that he didn't really die. He just appeared to die, and that this was a fake resurrection. And that's taught by some good Bible expositors that the Antichrist will stage this resurrection. And they would say, since only Christ's resurrection is an affirmation that He is Lord, this is not something the Antichrist can do. So if the Antichrist is indeed slain, as the simple reading of Scripture would indicate, then how do you reconcile that with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being an affirmation of His deity? 
Well, there are several options. Number one, we know that Satan is delegated authority at times to be able to do miracles. You remember that occasion when Satan comes into the presence of God and he says, Job, yeah, Job loves you just because you've bought his love. Take away his blessings and we'll see if he really loves you. So God sent a tornado on his home and wiped out his family. And then God sent uh, through Satan these boils on his body and that's an expression of Satan's miraculous power. We saw it when Moses confronted the magicians of Egypt, and they took their sticks, and they also turned them into snakes, and the water into blood. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describing lost people who had never known him, who preach in his name, who cast out demons in his name, and he, who even do miracles in his name. Even Judas, when the He is sent out with the 12. He does miracles, and yet he is a lost man. And so some would say, well, you know, uh, what we have here is just a a lying miracle of sorts. But again, uh, some would say this is staged, and so let me read verse 3 again. I saw one of his heads, one of the heads that were persons on this beast, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and follow after the beast. So they say, it's not that he was really slain. It was as if he was slain. But that is neither the meaning in Greek or in English. And the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. The exact identical structure and phrase in the Greek New Testament is used earlier in Revelation 5, 6. John observed, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. By this, John does not mean that Jesus was not really slain, but that he had the literal marks of death. By extension and application, the simple reading of Scripture is that the Antichrist is literally actually assassinated. He is literally actually dead, but he is raised back to life. You say, then how do we pull this together? Very simply, the Bible would make a distinction between someone who is raised to life and someone who is resurrected to life. Elijah the prophet raised someone from the dead. Elisha the prophet raised someone from the dead. The Lord Jesus, ever before his resurrection, raised three people from the dead. After his ascension, Peter raised someone from the dead. Paul raised someone from the dead. But Jesus, the Bible says, is the first fruits of resurrection. He is the very first one ever to come out of the grave because in those seven examples, plus one fellow who falls in the prophet's bones and pumps back to life just from being buried in the same grave, all of those people eventually died again. But the Lord Jesus was not simply raised to life. He was literally resurrected to life. And the fact that he has resurrection power, he uses as a polemic for his deity. Do you remember in that great chapter, John 5 is one of the great chapters in the Bible by which Jesus persuades people that he's not simply human, but that he is divine, that he is God in a body, God in human flesh. And in John 5, 21, he said, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. He meant what He said, and He said what He meant, and no one can duplicate that. Only God can resurrect people from the dead. 
And there's coming a day when men will hear the voice of the Son of God, and some will come to a resurrection of eternal judgment. They will be given a new body suited for hell that will never be consumed. And others will come to a resurrection of life suited for heaven that will walk on streets of gold. So Satan is the great counterfeiter, and he is going to produce a counterfeit miracle. Yes, he was assassinated. Yes, he was dead. But he will come back to life. He will be raised to life. And when he is raised, not resurrected, he will have the world's attention. He will deceive the whole world. That's what Revelation 13, 12 tells us. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. So the second beast, also called the false prophet, when this miracle happens, he will convince the world to worship the beast, the beast of beasts, the Antichrist himself. Now back to Revelation 17 with that review. Revelation 17 and go to verse 8 of that chapter, if you will. Revelation 17 and verse 8. The beast you saw was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. What this verse is referring to is that the beast or the Antichrist that John saw was and is not, and he comes back to life. We just studied that. This satanically empowered resurrection or raising to life is what is going to catapult this world leader to have the world's attention. Now, the Bible tells us that he comes up out of the abyss, and the Bible also tells us he comes up out of the sea, and it further delineates he comes out of the great sea. God has one great sea in Scripture. It's the Mediterranean. And just as the prophet Daniel articulated, and his revelation confirms, there is coming a revived Roman Empire that Daniel prophesied. And from that revived Roman Empire that will come out of Western Europe, one nation will come into prominence from which the Antichrist himself will come. And so when the Bible describes him coming out of a sea, we saw in that chapter, it's not a literal sea, but much like we use it figuratively of the sea of humanity, out of the nations of the former empire, a real human is coming. Yet on the other hand, the Bible says here he comes up out of the abyss. Do you remember the abyss? We studied it in Revelation chapter 9. We saw that angel who opened up the abyss. And all of these demons are given permission to torment men on the earth for some five months. The abyss is that place where the worst of the worst of the worst of all demons are found. Remember on that occasion when Jesus met the Gerardine demoniacs there in Gadara or Kersi? Some of you have been with me to Kersi. We saw the actual tombs that Jesus describes and the hill that literally goes right down into the Sea of Galilee. There's only one place in all of Israel. It's a class A spot where that could have taken place. And those demons beg the Lord not to send them into the abyss. Why? Because when you're in the abyss, you have no power and no authority to torment men. Your, your ministry, so to speak, for a time is over. And so Jesus sends him into that herd of some 2,000 pigs that run headlong into the water. But I want to tell you, the most heinous of all the demons 
are in the abyss because they have violated the state in the realm in which God allowed them to function. And so God locks them up in the abyss. But there's a demon who is going to inhabit this coming son of perdition who will give him authority and power and the ability to perform miracles and will bring his body back to life. And when it happens, the world will worship him. Look again, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and he'll go to destruction. That's chapter 20. We'll see when. And those who dwell on the earth whose names has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. This is a turning point in this ministry of the Antichrist. All who dwell on the earth, the Bible says in verse 8, will worship him. Specifically, everyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. Listen. If the rapture happens today and your name this morning is not registered in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are going to worship the beast. That's what the Word of God teaches. Now, God, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, knows the hearts of all men. And so we've studied a little bit about the book of life. And when we come to Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are going to enter into heaven. And yet the Bible affirms in the Revelation that their names were written before the foundation of the world. That is, God has a book. Someone says there's a new name written down in glory. Not exactly. Maybe a check mark next to the name. But it's written before the foundations of the world. Why? Because our God is an omniscient God. He knows the hearts of all men. But the fact that God knows, which is one of the things that makes Him God, does not in any way, shape, or form change anyone's free will. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's. Is your name there today? Do you know that? I hope it is. I wouldn't bank on that. I hope it is, to use the English expression hope versus the New Testament. Now, you need to know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you don't know what that means, you should come tonight to meet the pastor and get that settled. Or if you're listening online, go to searchthescriptures.org and listen to, would you like to have God as your friend? Chapter 3 affirmed for us that if your name is written in that book, it will never be erased. <laughs> the very verse that some teach, you can lose your salvation, and the context teaches the exact opposite, that your name will never be erased from that book. So here's this beast, the Antichrist, who is coming, and he will carry the woman, not because he loves her, but because he is going to use her like a harlot, and when his goals are accomplished, like a man with a prostitute, he'll discard her like a piece of trash, and he'll move on. Secondly, there's the beast who comes to carry the woman. There's also the beast who comes to the city of the woman. The beast who comes to the city of the woman. Look now, if you will, at verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. This one world religion where this woman or this harlot sits is described as a place of seven mountains. Now, a sloppy handling of Scripture where you get your theology not from the Bible but from novels and other popular Internet sites will lead you to some false conclusions. One popular novelist says, well, this is 
modern-day Babylon there in Iraq. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins admit they call it a novel, okay? So I give them room there because Tim LaHaye is a great guy. Jerry Jenkins had his own issues, but Tim LaHaye was a godly man now in heaven. But in their Left Behind series, they make Babylon the city of New York. Others make it Mecca. Some say it's Hollywood. Other people say it's the city of Jerusalem. And the temptation sometimes is is to interpret the Bible through the lens of modern-day circumstances rather than letting Scripture speak for itself. Now, we do know that the place where she sits in verse 8, as verse 18 indicates, is the great city. And we know that this city is built on seven mountains. So if you let Scripture interpret Scripture, there's only one city in all the world that can meet the parameters that is described in chapters 17 and 18, and that is the city of Rome. The city of Rome which, of course, is the headquarters for Roman Catholicism, which claims to be the one true church. Now, the Roman church says that Karl Brogy is damned to hell. Why? Because I knowingly, willfully rejected their theology to embrace something that they think is contrary. Now, if you were never Catholic, You can be saved in your ignorance along with all the isms of the world, but they say there is only one true church led by the vicar of Christ, the Pope himself. But let me give you some reasons as to why Babylon is not that literal city of Babylon in modern-day Iraq, but a different Babylon, as it's qualified back in verse 5, as a mystery. We're talking about mystery Babylon, and she is called the great city. Now, remember, let me read the prophet Isaiah from this 13th chapter. There was a time in Israel's history when the kingdom split, 10 northern tribes, Israel, two southern tribes, Judah. And God sent prophets to warn the 10 northern tribes, the Assyrians are coming, you need to repent. They didn't listen, the Assyrians came. And then God judged the Assyrians. Then God warned the two southern tribes, you better get right or the Babylonians are going to come. But they did not listen either. Isaiah 13, let me read the prophecy. He writes this 80 years before it happens, by the way. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold, and their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb. It reminds me of our senators this week, so disgusted. They could not get 60 votes. They could only get 53 votes. They could not get 60 votes that would say, if a baby is born alive, that that baby has a right to be protected. You could not get 60 senators who would agree that that baby that is alive and born and outside of the womb deserves to be protected. Those are wicked men in Washington, D.C., and they better repent or they are going to meet God in holy judgment. It is a sad day in America. We have rejected the living God, and God has given us over to a depraved mind, an upside-down mind, a reprobate mind, where we call evil good and good evil. And we do this, well, this is a woman's right. Look, I don't care if you grind up the baby one month after he or she is conceived, or you take a knife and put it through the baby's chest after the baby is born. It is wrong. It is evil. It is wicked. But it's not beyond the forgiveness of God Almighty. 
In their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. In Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he concludes in verse 20. Listen. It, Babylon, in Iraq, will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. Now, some have said that when Saddam Hussein was in power and he purposed in his mind to rebuild Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, that it would become the future headquarters of the coming Antichrist. But that prophetic conclusion to sell a few books for a few cheap you know, sales, goes against what God has said. And what he did, by the way, by constructing a few buildings in one of his palaces, most of which are in ruins after he died, and no one ever inhabited that city. It is, even when he built those few buildings, it was 97% uninhabited, and today no one lives there. It's just a tourist trap. God said they would never live there. And since God allowed the city of Babylon to be destroyed, no one has ever lived there. Even the Arabs, even the Bedouin shepherds won't go there. They're afraid of the place. They think it is cursed. So I know it doesn't mean that. Neither does ancient Babylon, by definition, refer to some of the other cities that people have postulated for it. Remember, this is mystery Babylon. And by definition, a mystery is something that is in the Old Testament, concealed, but in the New Testament is revealed. The fact in verse 5 that he writes, a mystery Babylon, or some of your texts just say mystery Babylon, singles us that he's using a symbol that will need to be interpreted. In fact, John uses the identical terminology in Revelation 11 and verse 8 when he speaks of Jerusalem and he calls it the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt. Now, there are only two cities in all the Bible that are called the great city. One is the city of God, Jerusalem, the most mentioned city in all of the Bible. The other is the city of man, Babylon, the second most mentioned city in all of the Bible. And just as Jerusalem is the city of God where the true Christ will someday rule from, Babylon in Rome is the city of man in which the Antichrist is going to rule from. And so Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in his first epistle, said in the 13th verse, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Peter here is giving some passing salutations from the believers from the church in Babylon, which was a pseudonym in the first century for the city of Rome. We use code names all the time. When we speak of Wall Street, we're talking about the city of New York. And of course, it's not by accident that uh, Babylon is a name for Rome because it was a time, it was a city much like old ancient Babylon of great size, of great splendor, of great decadence, of great evil in terms of their morals. And just as ancient Babylon was used to smush the temple there in the uh, city of Jerusalem and carry away God's people for 70 years into captivity, even so the city of Rome 
persecuted the early Christians, and in 70 AD, they ultimately decimated the city of Jerusalem. All of the church fathers were in agreement that this city of Babylon mentioned in the Revelation is another name for the city of Rome. Tomorrow, we'll conclude our message, The Woman and the Beast, and see that despite the seeming successes of the Antichrist, God will ultimately succeed and this Babylon of the New Testament will come crashing down. If you wish to listen again to today's message, we invite you to download the Search the Scriptures app from the Apple Store or Google Play Store. You can also listen online using your web browser. Simply visit searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow, the conclusion of The Woman and the Beast. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.